Chapter 51 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Chapter 51 The Slave Hunt. Tom Gordon for the next two or three days after his injury, was about as comfortable to manage as a wounded hyena. He had a thousand varying caprices every hour and moment, and now one and now another prevailed. The miserable girls who were held by him as his particular attendants were tormented by every species of annoyance which a restless and passionate man in his impatience could devise. The recent death of Milly's mistress by the cholera had reduced her under Tom's authority, and she was summoned now from her work every hour to give directions and advice, which, the minute they were given, were repudiated with curses. "'I declare,' said Aunt Katie, the housekeeper, "'if Mass or Tom ain't enough to use a body off their feet, uh, it's just four times I's got gruel ready for him this last two hours.' doing all I could to suit him, and he swears at it and flings it round real undecent. Why, he's got a fever, and does he expect to make things taste good to him when he's got fever? Why, of course I can't, and no need of him calling me a devil and all that. That air's very unnecessary, I think. I don't believe in no such. The Gordons always used to have some sense to him, even if they was cross but he ain't got a grain. I should think he was cessed with old Sam, for my part. Bringing disgrace on us all the way he cuts up, we really don't know how to hold up our head, none of us. The Gordons have always been such a genteel family. Laws, we don't know what privileges we had when we had Miss Nina. Them new girls, dressed up in all their flounces and furbelows, guess they has to take it. In time, however, even in spite of his chafing and fretfulness and contempt of a physician's prescriptions, Tom seemed to recover by the same kind of fatality which makes ill weeds thrive apace. Meanwhile, he employed his leisure hours in laying plans of revenge to be executed as soon as he should be able to take to his horse again. Among other things, he vowed deep vengeance on Abijah Skinflint, who, he said, he knew must have sold the powder and ammunition to the Negroes in the swamp. This may have been true, or may not, but in cases of lynch law, such questions are indifferent matter. A man is accused, condemned, and judged at the will of his more powerful neighbor. It was sufficient to Tom that he thought so, and being sick and cross, thought so just now with more particular intensity. Jim Stokes, he knew, cherished an animosity of long-standing toward Abijah, which he could make use of in enlisting him in the cause. One of the first uses, therefore, which Tom made of his recovered liberty, after he was able to ride out, was to head a raid on Abijah's shop. The shop was without ceremony dismantled and plundered, 
and the mob, having helped themselves to his whiskey, next amused themselves by tarring and feathering him, and having insulted and abused him to their satisfaction, and exacted a promise from him to leave the state within three days, they returned home glorious in their own eyes. And the next week a brilliant account of the affair appeared in the Trumpet of Liberty, headed Summary Justice. Nobody pitied Abijah, of course, and as he would probably have been quite willing to join in the same sort of treatment for anyone else, we know not that we are particularly concerned for his doom. The respectable people in the neighborhood first remarked that they didn't approve of mobs in general, and then dilated with visible satisfaction on this in particular, after a fashion of that stupid class that are called respectable people generally. The foolish mob gloried and exulted, not considering that any day the same weapons might be turned against them. The mob being now somewhat drilled and animated, Tom proposed, while their spirit was up, to get up a hunting in the swamp, which should more fully satisfy his own private vengeance. There is a sleeping tiger in the human breast that delights in violence and blood, and this tiger Tom resolved to unchain. The act of outlawry had already publicly set up Harry as a mark for whatever cruelty drunken ingenuity might choose to perpetrate. As our readers may have a curiosity in this kind of literature, we will indulge them with a copy of this. State of North Carolina, Chowan County Whereas complaint upon oath hath this day been made to us, two of the justices of the peace for the said county and state aforesaid, by Thomas Gordon, that a certain male slave belonging to him, named Harry, a carpenter by trade, about thirty-five years old, five feet four inches or thereabouts, dark complexion, stout built, blue eyes, deep sunk in his head, forehead very square, tolerable loud voice, hath absented himself from his master's service, and is supposed to be lurking about in the swamp, committing acts of felony or other misdeeds. These are, therefore, in the name of the state aforesaid, to command said slave forthwith to surrender himself and return home to his said master. And we do hereby, by virtue of the act of assembly, in such case made and provided, intimate and declare that if the said slave Harry doth not surrender himself and return home immediately after the publication of these presents, that any person or persons may kill and destroy the said slave by means as he or they might think fit, without accusation or impeachment of any crime or offense for so doing, and without incurring any penalty or forfeiture thereby. Given under our hands and seal, James T. Muller, T. Buttercourt. Footnote. The original document from which this is taken can be seen in the appendix. It appeared in the Wilmington Journal, December 18, 1850. End of footnote. One can scarcely contemplate without pity the condition of a population which grows up under the influence of such laws and customs as these. 
that the lowest brutality and the most fiendish cruelty should be remorselessly practiced by those whose ferocity thus receives the sanction of law cannot be wondered at tom gordon convened at his house an assemblage of those whom he used as the tools and ministers of his vengeance harry had been secretly hated by them all in his prosperous days because though a slave he was better dressed better educated and on the whole treated with more consideration by the gordon family and their guests than they were and at times he had occasion to rebuke some of them for receiving from the slaves goods taken from the plantation to be sure while he was prosperous they were outwardly subservient to him as the great man of a great family but now he was down as the amiable fashion of the world generally is they resolved to make up for their former subservience by redoubled insolence jim stokes in particular bore harry a grudge for having once expressed himself with indignation concerning the meanness and brutality of his calling and he was therefore the more willing to be made use of on the present occasion accordingly on the morning we speak of there was gathered before the door of the mansion at canama a confused melange of men of that general style of appearance which in our times we called border ruffians half-drunken profane obscene as the harpies which descended on the feast of aeneas tom gordon had only this advantage among them that superior education and position had given him the power when he chose of assuming the appearance and using the language of a gentleman but he had enough of grossness within to enable him at will to become one of them tom's arm was still worn in a sling but as lack of energy never was one of his faults he was about to take the saddle with his troop at present they were drawn up before the door laughing swearing and drinking whiskey which flowed in abundance the dogs the better mannered brutes of the two by all odds were struggling in their leashes with impatience and excitement tom gordon stood forth on the veranda after the fashion of a great generals of old who harangued their troops on the eve of battle any one who has read the speeches of the leaders who presided over the sacking of lawrence will get an idea of some features in this style of eloquence which our pen cannot present now boys said tom you are getting your names up you've done some good work already you've given that old snivelling priest a taste of true orthodox doctrine that will enlighten him for the future you've given that long-nosed skinflint light enough to see the error of his ways a general laugh here arose and voices repeated ha ha that we did didn't we though i reckon you did said tom gordon i reckon he didn't need candles to see his sins by that night didn't we make a candle of his old dog kennel didn't he have light to see his way out of the state by and didn't we give him a suit to keep him warm on the road ah boys that was a warm suit no mistake it was a suit that will stick to him too he won't trade that off for rum in a hurry i'm thinking willie boys bursts of crazy half-drunken applause here interrupted the orator 
Pity we hadn't put a match to it, shouted one. Ah, well, boys, you did enough for that time. Wait till you catch these sneaking varmins in the swamp. You shall do what you like with them. Nobody shall hinder you. That's law and order. These foxes have troubled us long enough stealing at our hen roost when we were asleep. We shall make it hot for them if we catch them, and we are going to catch them. There are no two ways about it. This old swamp is like Davy's coon. It's got to come down. And it will come down, boys, when it sees us coming. No mistake about that. Now, boys, mind catch him alive if you can, but shoot him if you can't. Remember, I'll give a hundred and fifty dollars for his head. A loud shout chorused this last announcement, and Tom descended in glory to take his place in a saddle. Once, we suppose, this history would not have been believed had it been told. But of late, our own sons and brothers have been hounded and hunted by just such men with such means. The fire which began in the dry trees has spread to the green. Long live the great Christianizing institution. End of chapter 51 The Slave Hunt